Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Hello there and welcome to Rocket with me, Nick Easter, and my co-host, Kieran Bracken. Today we're going to be you know, talking about what we've been up to recently, You know, my, my trips to Newcastle and how it's going up there, what Brax has been up to in his spare time um, and how he's surviving amongst the family in lockdown. And we're going to be talking British and Irish Lions as we have an interview as well with Willie John McBride and latest round of Premiership games alongside uh, what Europe will look like for next season. Rocket have teamed up with Herbalife to get fit and healthy after lockdown. Join me, Kieran Bracken, and my co-host Nick Easter in the Me vs. Me 21-day challenge starting on the 7th of September. To find out more, email us at rocketpodcast at gmail.com or complete the wellness profile on our webpage, rocketfitness.goherbalife.com. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So, Nick, good to uh, good to catch up again uh, a week on, and um, you look like you're back in your uh, sweet home, back in London. Um, so, how's this week been? Is there any news? I know Newcastle have had one or two signings, um, but you're looking you're looking positive, refreshed. How's the travel? How's it all going? Yeah, good, eh? good, mate, good. Yeah, I am back. You know, the electric guitar case gives it away, doesn't it? Sat in this spot a few times um, over Zoom. Um, it's been good, mate. Second week, so you know, just from a travel perspective, you know, get the boring stuff out of the way. It's you're in Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So I head up late, late Sunday night, late tonight, late Wednesday night, um, and I come back Tuesday early evening and Friday early evening. So it, w- it works out well, mate. Family wise, um, the train's three hours, just over three hours, or just under, depending which one you get. So it's not too bad. Get plenty of work done um, on there. Um, plenty of uh, Netflix uh, downloads to watch as well. Um, and you know, from a family perspective, you know, I still get Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday at the moment. You know, with uh, you know my wife and son and. Um, you know, my wife's working four days solid till Thursday anyway, you know, uh, working in the study at home. So, you know, d- didn't get much, didn't get to see her much anyway, you know, during the day. And the little man starts at nursery and, uh, you know, he's there Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. So logistically it can work out better. She, she has him on a Friday. I have him on a Wednesday. We're together on a Saturday, Sunday. We had enough time together, mate, the last six months. I think we're fed up with each other. So have a bit of separation, actually. It's quite refreshing. We've, well, never, been happens- so, mate, we've never been so nice to each other the last couple of weekends. What, what happens, though, when you know, you're uh, rugby proper and you've got matches at the weekends? I guess you're going to have to maybe come back on a, on a Sunday night or whatever. Is that Yeah, it's, I mean, it would depend how the week runs. Yeah, that's a little bit more of a movable feast, isn't it, Brack? So you don't know whether you play Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. You don't know whether the, the, the working week might be Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, might be Wednesday off Thursday. Yeah. Um, and as you correctly say, you know, if you're playing at home, obviously playing at home would be further away than playing any of the away games. But uh, obviously the work you've got to do Saturday night, Sunday morning, um, I have to manage that as we go. But, uh, you know, ultimately... You, you know, this this will be take the sort of commuting and everything will be taking place. You know, up until after sort of Christmas, and then uh, we'll, we'll reassess because, you know, for me to do as good a job as possible, um, 
you know, it, it'd be nice to be a little bit closer. But at the, at the moment, mate, it, it's, it's not too bad. It works out fine, as I say, you know. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Mate, fully getting involved, stuck in. This week's, this, this week's been a bit more rugby, um, which is good. Um, so sort of implement, you know, sort of systems I want and sort of mindset and everything. And we'll build that up nice and slowly. And, you know, we still, we still got a, um, a bl- you know, obliged to the sort of uh, Prem Rugby, you know, distancing and, um, you know, COVID sort of protocol um, so early on the week um, until the tests come back negative. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's ticking along nicely, mate. As I said to you last week, you know, it's nice to have this time. You know, the pressure's off. We don't have to prepare for a game. We've got sort of three months to build into it. Um, funnily enough, I was actually down at Quinn's today because the COVID testing for this week's been done on a Wednesday. And obviously me not being up in Newcastle, they arranged, uh, you know, phoned up the manager at Quinn's and said, uh, you know, can you pop down there when you're testing all the boys? So I bumped into a few of the boys briefly when I was there and... Uh, yeah. So. Well, at least at least when you have at least when you have away games for Newcastle, you know, quite a few of those games are going to be near where you live, aren't they? You know, you've got you've got uh, Harlequins, obviously, and you've got some of the teams that are so only within half an hour. Well, won't be, we won't be playing Saracens, so that's. Uh, uh, I don't mention Saracens. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, mate. Look, the away games will be closer, and you know, I'll probably take the family to the away games. You know, if you go somewhere like Bath or you know, Gloucester or something like that, or Exeter might take the family down, you know, stay in a hotel or something, make a bit of a weekend of it um, and sort of manage it, manage it that way. But uh, well, one thing I've noticed, Nick, you know, when you get on a train and you go up north, right? As soon as you get out of London, as you get sort of closer up to the north, people start to get more friendly and more friendly and even friendlier. And, not. and we, by the time you're up it, up the north, you know, but you get people, someone gets on the train and they go, all right, how are you doing? And really, really friendly. As soon as you get into like anywhere near London within an hour, it's like, if you say, oh, mate, yeah. like, people are more like, interested in their own lives, aren't they? Like, yeah. well, what, what the fuck? What does he want? What does he want? I ain't got any money. What, I mean, it's really weird. And just, just the Northern mentality. They, Man, they, I found that when I was playing for Oral, exactly. I, I still think, you know, obviously, you know, the Geordies have all been good to me in sort of the last, you know, week and a half, two weeks. But yeah. when I played for Oral, you know, which is Lancashire, really, I thought, nicest people. Nicest people yeah. in England I've come across. Um, yeah. And, you know, being being from London where you wanted things instantly, you just wanted to get on, yeah. you know, so say if you're queuing at the butcher or the baker or whatever it might be, and they'd be having a chat with everyone in front of you and you'd be like, come on, mate, just just do your business, do your transaction, what are you want about? But, <laughs> uh, you know, you get used to that. And they're, they're really friendly, how's it going? They're also dead honest, dead straight, no beating about the bush. Um, but uh, willing to help you out, mate, you know, proper, proper values. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the Geordies will be the same as well, mate. Uh, you know, I'm sure of that. No, it's a great place. But um, before we talk about the the Premiership and the uh, the shit rugby that we uh, all watched at the weekend with the with the mismatches, which to some extent, you know, threatens the integrity of the game, where you've got teams putting out the the best team and teams putting out the worst team. But just breaking news about the Heineken Cup next year. The changes to it, interesting, uh, you know, the, it's the top eight premiership team, so there's quite a lot there. The mm. top eight Pro 14 and the top eight in the uh, in the French League in the 14. And, and interesting, instead of having six games, they're going to have four games and then they're going to play the quarterfinals. Home so hold on, how, how many? So that's 2014. How many pools? So 
basically every no one's going to play anyone in their pool from their own country so i don't know how they work out the pools but there's two separate pools and then within them there's obviously pools again okay so two pools of 12 and then within them you only play a, a team from another country so you don't play any domestic team and then um the top okay so four, you'll play so if you are Newcastle in there, let's say, or you know, let's go, let's let's go with someone who's currently. If you're Sale, let's go realistic. Let's no, go. No, realistic. No, if you're Sale, and who else in the top four? Let's just say the top four. So Exeter, Bristol, and Wasps. Yeah. Okay. So they would be in one pool of twelve. They wouldn't play each other, which means you'd have no. four from Pro Fourteen and four from France. You clearly. You're not going to be playing eight games because that's more than no. there is currently. So how how's yeah. that going to be? I don't. I don't yeah, I mean, my, my understanding is is that instead of six games, there's four games, and of those four games, you won't play anyone from your own country. So they're obviously going to set up the pools so yeah. it matches that. Um, but interesting, for the first time ever, they are going to do the quarterfinals home and away, which I think is quite exciting, a bit like they do in the Champions League. But then the semi-finals and the finals in, in Marseille, and then five to eight in the in the pool that rank in their pool at fifth to eight, they'll go into the European Challenge Cup. But it's eight teams, which is quite a lot. I know. Oh right, so it, oh right, they'll drop down into European Challenge Cup, which the other yeah. teams have already been partaking in. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. I mean, look, 24 teams in Europe, I think it's great. Eight teams, you know, whether that continue, like, we'll wait and see. But if you can imagine... At the end of the, day, the, end of the day, mate, you can't stand still, haven't you? you you've got to sort of create other options yeah. and explore other options, otherwise you don't get anywhere. And, uh, you know, fair play to ERC for, you know, trying to sort of not reinvent it, but restructure it, uh, yeah. given, given the crisis. Well, that, look, I mean... There's a lot to play for, and I think um, I'd be interested to get your take. Uh, now you're coaching Newcastle about promotion relegation, but some have said now that Southampton's have been relegated, and you look at the Premier League, and and this is a good opportunity for Premiership rugby to you know showcase what they can do. And and this weekend for me was really disappointing. I saw your tweet, you know, talking about how poor some of these games are with the mismatches. Some teams. You know, we know that we can't, every team can't put out the best team. So strategically, teams are going to put out one week a really strong team, one week a really weak team, and then there's going to be a mismatch with the opposition. I do wonder if some of the directors rugby are talking to each other. But I noticed Northampton have done it differently, and it hasn't really worked. They've mixed their teams completely in all of their games, and they've only won one out of four. So, you know, we saw Sale put out some of their strongest sides. Uh, but yeah, it was just, I mean, the, I mean, the exception to the rule was Exeter, who beat who beat Bristol. Exeter put out their second string and beat Bristol in the last minute. I mean, that's a side. I mean, look, I mean, it's, it's theirs to lose, isn't it, Exeter? But that's a side so comfortable in, yeah. you know, in their cohesion, in their style, understanding, you know, under pressure, what they need to deliver within their structures. And uh, that was a fantastic win for them. Um, agreed with you, mate. You know, I said it in my tweet, Bath was easy to best game. They went full noise. Both of them went full ball. Um, and that's what the Premiership serves up week in, week out, you know, in previous seasons and why it's become such a tough competition, but also a tough competition to call. Um, I suppose, we, you know, when you look at this, it's also looking at, you know, we've spoken about it before, you know, I've been pro-relegation, um, you're sort of against relegation. I think this season coming up, I don't think it's fair given COVID and the financial uh, constraints um, put on certain clubs. Um, 
but I think this basically, you know, writes its own sort of epitaph for, uh, you know, not having relegation because this is a sort of thing that would happen, you know, later on in the season, sides line is sort of eighth or ninth, if say if qualification for Europe, still top six. I know it's not for this season, eighth or ninth, they might just put out a few youngsters against the four and, you know, got, people don't want to attend games that aren't a, comp, aren't a competition where you're not seeing the best players there. And I think what this has done is just highlighted it in, in reality, what the sort of, you know, the pro relegation, um, People Here's thought, the thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, agree. I, I have to say, I just really didn't didn't enjoy watching it. The mismatches, but then part of me thinks that actually, you know, there's a way around that in relation to potentially prize money based on where you finish, and then you're going to encourage them to put the best te- best teams out. But actually, just globally, and if you look at the game of rugby now, and you look at like teams like. Um, you know, Leeds Carnegie, uh, you know, Carnegie and changing the name and all of the, you know, championship and the, and the first division, they're all struggling financially, never mind in the premiership. So it's it, now I think is the time to sort of, I, I suppose, change the goalpost to some extent and, and try and radicalise what we're doing. You know, we're talking about, they were talking about maybe having midweek games during the international break, which I think is a good idea. Instead of competing with each other at weekends, having you know, a premiership game when an international's going on. So I think that's the sort of things they need to do. But I just I just worry about the game because financially without without, you know, bums on seats, without sort of sponsorship and, you know, all the boxes being filled out, how long can they continue without any money? Well that, that, that I mean that's a very valid point in terms of the boxes being filled, Brax, because what's what I think will struggle out of this, and it's exactly the same as airlines. You know, airlines get most of their income from filling up the first class, business class, you know, business trips, long haul, you know, London to New York, Hong Kong, all that sort of stuff, right? That's where they make their money. You know, they get nice little income from cattle class where I always fly. You're probably a bit more business, I know. But it's the same, it's the same in sport. You know, they need to fill out the hospitality before they fill the stadium. They, you know, I remember speaking to people at Quinn's, you know, the marketing department at Quinn's. They just wanted the boxes all brought up. Because that's where the, that's where they actually make their gains, their margins, much more on that, and then obviously the food and beverage on top of it. And you think, you know, Quinns are actually hosting Bath this weekend. Um, I think I can't remember the amount. Is it three and a half thousand in the in the fourteen and a half thousand seater stadium? Obviously, distance great. That you know they're starting to pile up for coming back to rugby. Um, and I think fifty quid is a sort of top ticket price for that. And people are sort of you know raised eyebrows hold on a second 50 quid for a club game but you sort of understand it because ultimately yeah. you know people might be desperate to get out and watch some people might be thinking actually i'm quite happy watching on the sofa but uh you know where where they make their where they make their money mate and most of their income comes from the boxes comes from the hospitality and it's the same at the rfu and you think with companies now being you know on a shoestring and, and having to make cuts um you know those clients aren't i would i would uh I would struggle to believe that all of those clients will will be happy to pay what they were paying before in terms of you know using those facilities and so that you know those prices might have to come down all costs will have to come down and you know signing a pinch for uh, you know a couple of seasons I think I got a feeling though at some stage there's going to be a conversation with the players again it's going to be like listen guys you know we can't continue like this um, but but who do you think? Um, just looking at the the Premiership at the moment, the top four is getting very exciting. Sale 
drop, you know, losing a couple of games, then bouncing back, you know, massive win um, at the weekend. And you're looking at teams like Wasps who who won it with a penalty try in the last uh, last minute of the game, cracking game. Um, so really, I mean, disappointing for Harlequins, your old team. I guess that they're sort of like. You know, they need to get some big wins, don't they, and rely on maybe some losses. But the top four, are we, are we sticking with our top four? Yeah, what do we say? I mean, I know we, we both definitely had X to sale in Bristol, didn't we? And I think uh, yeah. what Wasps have been a foreign team coming out of this. this yeah. Well, I think Wasps and Bath, you know, um, but, you know, Bath probably should have. What I didn't understand about that game the other day is Wasps had a, a, a prop thrown in. Bath didn't put anyone up. Cost them a try, cost them the game. Yeah, uh, well, penalty they try. They, they threw it not quite to the front, but not far off. And you think you just stick someone up there, just stick someone front and middle. You'll give the shits to the hook, the the, the prop. You win the yeah. ball. That's the best way of stopping any sort of attempted maul anyway. Win it at source. Yeah. And uh, they just stayed down. I thought they could deal with it then. And fair play to Wasps. You know they, uh, you know they, they, they kept they kept the um, they, they kept tight, didn't they? And they, they spun off and kept and. Um, you kept kept going as a unit, and they scored, and you know got the penalty try and won the game. But I think those two sides have really come out of the blocks well. Um, clearly, got their prep right in terms of you know coming back in for the month. Um, Sailor got their mojo back. Interestingly, Steve Diamond, uh, you know, I don't know whether he was sort of tongue in cheek and just being mischievous, but they gave you know circa twenty penalties away the first two games, and uh, oh, sure. you know, the three yeah. games that they've won since. You know, I think maybe under ten, or one was ten, and yeah. the other was under ten. And he says, uh, right, we've decided, you know, in terms of going for the Jackal, which is, you know, clearly his new yeah. interpretation. Only one, up. only two players. Yeah, Curry, yeah. Curry and Aka van der Merwe are the only ones doing yeah. it. The rest of you, leave yeah. it alone and, you know, do whatever you can to disrupt the ball except that because it's hurting us. Um, just a word on Northampton. Um, you know, you said that they, they've been slightly different in mixing and matching. You know, I'd like to believe, you know, Chris Boyd's a very intelligent, shrewd coach that, it's probably a longer-term plan. And yes, you know, we all know that the Premiership is very much about the here and now and winning the next game. And the pressure comes on very quick. But I think, you know, he understands the constraints that clubs are going to be under. And, you know, you can only have a certain amount of world-class players or international players that exposing youngsters with some senior players is going to speed up their development in a tighter game and playing with better players than just sticking all the youngsters out in one, or the second string, if you yeah. like, in one. Where it's yeah. like, you know, Harlequins got absolutely battered by Worcester, didn't it? It's like, what have they learned from that? You know, you, no. would they have learned a bit more if they'd sort of split the split the two sides up? Re- relatively equal. Look, we know when we come up against a strong side, we might lose it. But actually, this is for longer-term gain. Maybe they're sort of looking at two, three years in the future with the purse string still being tight. But actually, let's get some development into our youngsters with quality players in tight games so they understand what pressure's like. And you might bear fruit next season, the season after. And, you know, I'm not sure if that is the plan, but it looks like it might probably have been the thinking process. Whereas, you know, in the immediate future, they're obviously dropping out the top four and and fans and supporters. You know, they're not going to be happy about that. And, you know, the headlines aren't going to be great for them. But... uh, you know, I'd like to think that there was probably a longer-term plan going that way, and uh, along alongside, obviously, the you know the rotation policy and looking after his looking after his players and not playing them week in week out. Yeah, I don't know whether you got to see the uh, game of two halves for uh, Gloucester 
against Leicester. I mean, oh my God, it was it was a pummeling for the first half. I mean, absolute pummeling. And then I think half time they brought on George Ford, and they you know they they seemed to get back to form and score some nice points. Obviously, Gloucester were always going to win that game. But I do worry for Leicester. I mean, I, I look at Gloucester, they've got some exciting players, could score nice tries. You know, they've got some great players, likes of Cipriani. But I look at Leicester, you know, apart from maybe George Ford, who's out on his own, I just worry for them because with or without their star players, um, you know, they really look average. And... They've lost some really big players. Obviously, Manny Tulangi going to sale. I mean, that's a, that's a seismic job. I mean, I thought I think you've got a pretty big job up at, up at Newcastle for next year. I just think Borthwick thinks, Jesus, what's he walked into? Because looking at the, some of their young players, okay, and I just look at them and I do, are they going to cut it? Are they going to make it? Are they as good as some of these young players in the, in the rest of the Premiership? And I just don't think they are. And I just wonder what, what, what he's got to work from. Okay, his front-line team, even at best, is pretty average. And whatever the team, they seem to do, they don't look like they can get massive consistency. I, I think there was one game where they showed a bit of heart. But, God, I mean, I wouldn't wish it. You know, The expectation for Leicester, I think, is so high based on their success in the past. Yeah, well, I think, <laughs> I think people have got to understand it. Um, where they are at the moment and that, that includes the board and I'm sure Steve Borthwick wouldn't have gone into that job without reassurance from the board that this is going to take you know over three years you know a lot, a lot of DORs come in or head coaches in the, they're allowed three years because by then they've got their squad and, and all that sort of stuff but you know this could take longer to get them back to where they are because you know their recruitment in the last you know six seven years you know hasn't been good um, no. He had a big clear out, um, didn't he? He had a big clear out, um, sort of about 20 players during lockdown and, you know, signed what he could with the funds available after that. Clearly, they had a few issues and, and good players like Manu and, um, what's his name, Vianu as well, um, the fullback who, you know, who was cutting edge, was a match winner for him. But I think he understands the need that, you know, the pack comes first. You know, the type of league that the Premiership is, you know, a lot of money was spent on the back line. Um, and that's where he wants to invest his money. And look, you know, there's there, there's no, you know, there's no magic wand, mate. You know, there's no sort of silver bullet for it or whatever you call it. And um, you, it takes time. It takes time. And, and, you know, he's got to sometimes throw these lambs to the wolves and see if they can survive. And, you know, especially the young kids, and see, he's got a bit about him. That guy's got a bit about him. This guy, he might not make it. And you don't know until you throw him out there, mate. You know, you can do all the no, training. No, I agree. All the training in the world. You can look a million dollars in training. You can have all the sort of abilities. But ultimately, you know, being able to deal with the attrition and the pressure week in, week out of European rugby is what, you know, makes you a good player, certainly in this hemisphere. And uh, you, only find that, you only find that out and their instinctive awareness of the game as well when they're out on the field. And that's what talking, I think uh, Talking of important players and upfront players, you've just signed, uh, is it Mully Polar? Who's at Gloucester? Yeah, re-signed him. So he's been, at, he's, been at, uh, he's been at Newcastle for two or three seasons. And, um, you know, we loaned him out or, you know, short, short-term contract to Gloucester um, yeah. for this period. And yeah, he's coming back. He's coming back to us, which is great because... He's a guy with bags of experience in the Premiership, you know, destructive player. He's at his best. 
Um, but we'll have to manage him. We'll have to manage him, mate, because I think he's, you know, he must be third, knocking on 35, 36 now. And, um, and uh, you know, I don't think he's the sort of player that's going to play start every single week, but he's a sort of player that can have a big impact for us. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. To join me on Monday on Rocket, and I'll be catching up with Lions legends, the great Willie John McBride. And here is a quick teaser of what to expect. Go back to this scrum as anything. Their whole game is based on the scrum. And good at it. We're bad at scrum. You know, I, I watch the, the Premiership clubs playing. I watch home clubs playing here at home. We cannot scrum properly. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The brand new rugby podcast. So I, I thought it would be a great opportunity, um, bearing in mind that we've... I got to got to interview, uh, which will be coming out uh, very soon, with um, Willie John McBride and talking about the Lions. So I thought, just based on watching the the Premiership in the last few weeks, I thought it'd be a good opportunity for you and I to talk about the players. Look, we all know that the Maratogis and the Owen Farrells and these sort of players, the Elliot Dalys, maybe, or they're all they're all Saracens, aren't they? But a lot, of, a lot of the, the the sort of mainstay players we know about. But it'd be good to talk about maybe those players who we wouldn't necessarily consider because they're not necessarily playing international rugby at the moment, but they're, they're starring for their teams. And and one player I think is a good friend of yours who I think has been outstanding in his last game and got man of the match was was Danny Kerr. Now you look at it, if you look at the the players around Europe, uh, around the, the home nations for the scrum half spot, I think Ben Young's possibly, whether he'll get any more caps, we'll see. You know, Ben Spencer might be coming in, but... Yeah. Looking at the way Danny Kerr played, I thought to myself, geez, if he keeps that form, I'm sure Warren Gatlin will be looking at someone like him. I know there's a few very good Welsh players, but actually, you know, Conor Murray on the way out, you know, someone like Danny Kerr could be a great player. Also, Jack Willis, the, the flanker at Wasps, is uh, doing a few nice uh, things, lots of steals at the breakdown. Um, and so, what what do you think about sort of unlikely players who we can start? Yeah, to sort of about? bolters that could come through. Because look, I think we're in a, you know Europe's in a very strong position. We've gone through our you know potential lines before, but uh, you know similar theme. Another back row, Ben Curry, who's making headlines at the moment. So for yeah, as well. The thing is, in a back row, mate, is there's just so many good back rows. There yeah. is like it's hard to pick. There's so many good back rows in England. There's so many good back rows in Wales. You know, Ireland, <laughs> Scotland as well. That, that yeah. is going to be the hardest, the hardest sort of position to pick yeah. for Gats and, and Co. I, 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 I thought Danny was excellent the other day. Another guy I thought was brilliant um, in that particular game is Mike Brown. Um, yeah. A bit between yeah. his teeth. And, you know, that guy ain't finished at international level. And, you know, he's come out and said so. And he's a sort of guy, you know, dealing with the South African aerial game. You know, yeah. on those hard tracks, getting in the face of setup, you need to be physical. You know, they're going to start, they're going to come at you and bully you. And we know in the final, you know, they targeted Elliot Daly, didn't they, in the final? And, you know, got some reward there is, you know, he's the sort of player, you know, you can rely on. Um, and, you know, he's a competitive guy. He hasn't been capped for the Lions, so, so he'd be as hungry. Um, Danny, I agree oh. with, you know, hard, hard tracks for Danny, mate. Hard tracks for Danny. Um, Connor Murray, you know, he's not the same player as he was sort of, four years ago, is he? And uh, look, I think, you know, going, going by, you know, you can only go by form at the moment, can't you? But those two look really rejuvenated at having had a bit yeah. of a period off and coming back from a couple of niggles as well. Mike Brown actually had a serious injury, but Danny had a bit of a niggle. Um, the, That's the, a great shout. 
You see the uh, the no look pass from uh, from Mike Brown. It's funny, isn't it? The reputations of players. I think. I think the ball. Was... I think the ball must have slipped out of his hand, mate, because he doesn't pass oh. when he looks. He so I, don't know the, I don't know what the no look pass is about. I think I think he accidentally that Vaseline he puts on his thighs, right, to make it hard for defenders to tackle him. I think he must have got some on his hand, and he must have just yeah. popped, caught the ball. Must have been like a bar of soap popped out of his hands without him realizing. Well, we should get we should get uh, a voting for our uh, on our on our Twitter handle to see who who the public or listeners think are are you know up for line selection without necessarily playing for their country. But that's a great shout about Mike Brown. Yeah, I mean. That was a lovely break he made and set up that try. I love the no-look pass. But when he, I think when he was playing for England, we all know how good he was under the high ball. But it was always that frustration. He never fucking passed the ball when it was on. He just, it, the great thing about him, though, he always beats the first tap. Look, you're going to co- coach against Harlequins next year. But I'm sure in your coaches' meeting, you'll say, when you kick to him, right, the first guy, you've got to take him down. I ne- rarely see him like um, any, anyone tackle him on the first attempt. He always breaks the first one or two and then he goes down. But he, he rarely passes because he's got the ball in one hand and he's sort of like shaking his head and going fast. But at one stage, we, you know, we wanted him out of England. But that's a great shout. Hard yeah, but the, the thing is as well, you've got to realise, you know, what I mean, look, we obviously don't know the full Bid and T.O. Mike Brown story or what was going on there. But if you take it as read and what Eddie said and Mike Brown said, it's because he was he wasn't the playmaker that Eddie felt that England needed. So Elliot Daly came in as the footballer playmaker. Um, you know he, they've got similar kicking kicking abilities, haven't they? And you know he's obviously got a bit more yeah. pace than Elliot Daly. But he was saying, look, if they could have Ford, Farrell, and Daly, or Farrell, Slade, and Daly as you know triple playmakers, split the field two one. You know yeah. England would be a massive threat, which they've shown. You know with some cracking wins and performances. But yeah, Warren yeah. Gatlin might not feel that that's the way to beat South Africa. He also might feel that that's not the way he likes his team set up. He might just want them set up with two playmakers, you know, 10 and 12 or whoever it might be. Um, and, and, you know, that, that could very much open the door to Mike Brown, which, you know, because of, you know, what we understand, that is the reason why the door shut, remains shut from Eddie's point of view. Yeah. It could be very, very different with Warren Gatlin. Yeah, no, I listen, I completely agree. Uh, um, and talking of, uh, of the Lions, I thought it would be a good opportunity to, to get your take on. I mean, for me, when I was, um, you know, I was young, obviously when I got my first cap, you know, you always look at the Lions, you think, wow, that would be amazing. And um, the 97 Lions, uh, you know, I was, I was devastated not to be in the squad. I was playing for it. I was the number one choice uh, for England at the time. Uh, Dawson got in ahead of me. Um, as did quite a lot of Northampton players. I think it was five players who got in. Obviously, Dawson took his choice, but I, I ended up going out there. I got, got, got out there, Rob Howley got injured. I went out there, and I just couldn't believe how all of these players from different nations came together as one. But did you ever have a, a burning desire? Were you ever close to the Lions? Oh, mate, I would have, uh, you know, I would have dearly, dearly loved to have had that experience. You know, any sort of experience, even going out there playing one midweek game or anything like that, being a part of that unit and, you know, the most exclusive club in rugby, isn't it, really? And uh, ultimately, yeah. certainly from a Northern Hemisphere point of view, um, the most prestigious shirt, uh, you know, I would think, you know, yeah. absolutely loved every minute I played for England and proud of everything I did there as well. But, uh, you know, to be picked amongst four countries and for me it was 2009 2013 so 2013 you know it was the period when Stuart Lancaster thought I was too old to play for England again um, but actually I was having probably my best season club-wise in Europe 
Um, and you know, there was a lot of hankering, certainly from the press, that uh, you know I might be on the plane. But I always think, you know, not playing international rugby probably counted against me then. Um, and you know, we talk about Danny Kerr and Mike Brown. Will it count against them, or will they be a bit more open-minded? But uh, 2009, you know, I was. Uh, you know, similar to you, Matt, I was devastated when, you know, they announced the team. I remember watching it. We were at Quinn's in the morning. We we're just about to go out and train. And, you know, you don't know until they sort of, you know, um, reveal it on Sky Sports. It was, uh, and the manager, who was the manager then in 2009? I can't remember. Was it Gerald Davis? I think Gerald Davis was the manager. Mm-hmm. And he named the squad. And I remember it sort of passed the back rowers and went on to the nines. And, uh, yeah, I was pretty devastated, mate. And uh, Danny Kerr as well. Probably had a shot. He didn't make it in the nines. And I remember Ugo Monia got on. And Ugo, and he played the last two Six Nations games. I was rooming with him throughout the Six Nations. Played the last two Six Nations games and, uh, you know, played well. And, and uh, you know, he got on. And I remember his sort of celebration as soon as he got, he sort of turned around, booted the ball as far as he could on the field and uh, sort of was very, very pleased with himself. And, you know, we congratulated him, um, you know, but that, that's rugby, isn't it, mate? You know, you deal, yeah. with, you deal with lows, but the guy's done bloody, you know, awesome, you know, selection, representation, you know, your mate and your club club mate, um, you know, representing the Lions and you sort of had to put it to bed. Oh, well, you know, it wasn't a B. You never know. Injuries could happen. Unfortunately, no injuries happened. <laughs> Just yeah. to, to try and get on the plane, as I was sort of hoping. Do, do, you know, do you know what's really weird, and, though? Um, yeah, d- devastated, mate. And I'll tell you what was quite funny about that. So... We went and toured Argentina as England, right? And um, when we were in Argentina, I think we, we played earlier. So our, our um, second test in Argentina was earlier than the first test in the Lions, right? So sort of international sides, I think, played before the Lions side from a TV perspective and, you know, getting the public involved. So a few of us, me, <clears throat> Danny Kerr, Chris Robshaw, Tim Payne, Andy Goode, who were on that trip, decided... What are we going to do? Because all the best thing about tour, well, I say the best thing, that's not the best thing. One of one of the benefits with touring with England back then is you used to rearrange your, your flight home. So whether it be Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, whatever, you used to rearrange your flight home, still remain business for no extra cost um, to go wherever you wanted to go. So we went, look, let's go to Vegas for a week. Oh, my God. So we were like, right, we're going to go. So we were booking Vegas in that second week, us five. Uh, Jordan Turner always on that as well, actually. says so six of us. So we booked it. And so we obviously spoke to the manager. Can you rearrange our flights, you know, to obviously detour to Vegas? And then obviously you want the business class back, mate, because you're going to be completely written off and you want that flatbed just to sleep it over, right? <laughs> so we went out there and, you know, we had a good time. Let's say that, mate, as you would, you know. Oh, yeah. um, smashed it up, burnt, burnt the candle properly. And about the fifth day in, um tim payne who was on our party got the call up oh my god and mate we were uh, because over there you got oxygen in the hotels you're on the vodka red bulls right you're on the jaeger bombs you have about one or two hours sleep you see the night through because you're just on a high mate you're buzzing all the time and i remember it's five days in it was sort of about 4 p.m call comes through geech to uh geech to tim payne and uh <laughs> Sort of like, uh, where are you? Where are you? And he's sort of like, oh, no, no, I'm just at home. I'm just at home. He's like, mate, been boozing all day, four days previous or five days previous. And, mate, I've never seen anyone get get out of any sort of session as quickly as possible, any drinking session. 
literally had to go and pack his bag, organize a flight by himself back to London because Geek saying, right, I'm putting you on the, you know, the first flight in the morning out to South Africa. So we had to find a flight from Vegas. I think it was seven o'clock. It was about 4 p.m. Seven, seven, eight o'clock was the flight going from Vegas to London. He had to hope there was a spare seat and get on that and fly (laughs) down there. Um, We had the same. We had a similar one. And in 97, uh, we we toured Argentina with England. And uh, I remember during the tour, Redmond, do you remember in the second row? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he got called out and so did Tony Diprose, which was great for him. So obviously when you see other players getting called out, you just think, oh, I just wish I could. I'd just love to. I ended up coming back to England, went on holiday. I can't remember with my then girlfriend where we went, somewhere somewhere <laughs> far, far away. And um, basically Rob Howley uh, dislocated his shoulder and he was going to be the number one cha- choice. Yeah, no, yeah. I just got this call up saying, where are you? You need to get to London and fly out to South Africa and I had two flights. I got very, very excited, uh, got there. And I, 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 I have to tell you, it was like, this is 97, bear in mind. So we've just turned pro. We've just signed contracts that year. It's all a bit, no one knows what's going on, but talk about, I'm going to say that the, the midweek team were on the piss in the midweek and the Saturday team were on the, on the piss at the, at the weekend, but the midweek team joined them. It was like, it felt like, um, apart from the seriousness of the test, but it's, it felt like a stag do. <laughs> it was like all these... Where players. was it? North America, was it? Oh, no, no. The, uh, no, no, it, the Lions. When I turned up, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I turned up on the Lions, the first thing is uh, Frank Cotton gave me... Gave what, me when did you arrive? When did you arrive? I, I arrived about, about... Yeah, before the first test. Oh, right, okay. So, so basically, I, last week went out, I went out on the piss with uh, with the midweek lot, and then even some of the main squad who were on the bench joined me. and uh, And then the next night, what are we doing? Well, we're going out on the piss. Oh, you train hard in the day, and then the next night, what's everyone doing? We're going out on the piss. I mean, I like, I'm not joking. You, it was every night. And yeah, but as you day- say, mate, it was, it was the first year of professionalism. But ultimately, you were all amateurs from the amateur era. So the only yeah. and and it's the end of the season, mate. It's the end of the season. You know, yeah. you. Um, you have a blowout. It's what you know. It's what you've always done. Touring. You know, you're on the greatest tour possible. As you say, you train hard. You prepare well. Um, and uh, ultimately, mate, you know, as so many Lions tours in the past have, and people on Lions tours have told you, yeah. it's about getting that connection, getting that bonding between you that that uh, allows you to be successful. Because good players will work it out. You don't need to be overcoached. They'll work it out. And yeah. You know, famously, two thousand and five. You know that disaster, and Clive Woodward tried to be over prescriptive, and yeah, he did squads up and all of that, and no fun was had. No one really knew each other. No one actually cared about each other too much. And all, all Geach did when you know he came back in in two thousand, and not all he did, obviously, but so one of the big things he did was make sure that the squad felt they all had equal opportunity as soon as they stepped foot in South Africa, and. Uh, you know, it was down to your performances and you're all going to get an opportunity to to start in the first, you know, whatever, three games. And, you know, we're yeah. also going to have a bloody good time doing it. And, uh, you know, that... I think I've asked you this before and I think you're probably probably most qualified to answer this. You, you know a lot of the South African players. You know a lot of the British players. You know the coaching setup. What's the what's the score going to be if it if it does go ahead and the Lions happen? What what, what I mean I, I mean I obviously 
part of me is like, I'm always going to, I want the Lions to win. So I'm going to say, yeah, the Lions are going to win. But is it as clear cut? Is, is the brutality and the, 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 the South are going to take this really, really seriously like a World Cup, aren't they? I mean, are they in a good position, do you think? Do you think that they will beat the Lions um, next year? Well, it, it depends on whether they get the players back. When Rassi got them back, you know, for, uh, I think, the England series the, before the World Cup and then the Tri-Nations, wasn't it, after. So people like Dwayne Vermeulen, Faf de Klerk, guys like that that were playing in Europe, uh, France, Staney brought back. You know, those guys make it, made a massive difference to it. Now, I can't see why they wouldn't. You know, it's well, long, long it World Cup. It's the pinnacle. Um, yeah. After a world champions, you know, you'd want to put out your best side. Why would anyone anyone stand in the way of that? Um, oh, mate, it's it's... But it's an e- I say it's an easier tour. It's you know you you don't have the travel logistics, do you? Um, I think well, where are the tests it's Cape Town, Joburg, Joburg, and is the Joburg one Soweto? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and is PE the other one? I think the tests make a big difference, don't they? Whether you know you got high altitude or not, and. Uh, it's mate, it's tough to call, isn't it, Brax? I mean, you put me on the spot there. Do I think? I, I think we've got so many good players in Europe. If we get it right in terms of what our selection is in game plan, um, the advantage the Lions have got, mate, is they play a number of games beforehand, so they can suss things out, their match fit, and everything. Obviously, you know the advantage South Africans have is they're probably well rested and they can go in camp for two weeks and prepare for you know what the Lions have, like. You know, what was it, 2009, they came out, absolutely, you know, dicked them in the scrum, didn't they, in the mall mm. and just outpowered the Lions. And, they, and they, they hadn't come across that before in any of the sort of other games. And uh, I think it also depends on the sort of tactics South Africa imposed in terms of whether their internationals play the uh, play for the provinces because New Zealand allowed that to happen, didn't they? Uh, the New Zealand yeah, did, yeah. probably, you know, counted against them a bit. I know New Zealand, you know, won the first test pretty convincingly, but, uh, um, you know, as far as the Lions are concerned, they were used to sort of the nuances, the pace of the game, the sort of attacking mm. style, and, and, and certainly the hucker, you know, they become boring by the time that they faced it first up. <laughs> um, but it's it's a great rugby country. It's a great rugby I'm, not, I'm, I'm dodging the question. Mate, I honestly, I, I, think, I think Gats wants this one because this is the one... You know, I think he's happy with the draw in New Zealand. He obviously won against Australia. I think that loss, you know, twelve years ago it will be, won't it, next summer? I just think, you know, his desire and hunger filtering through to the group, and a lot of that group, all obviously, being English and losing that final to South Africa, and you know, playing the world champions as well. You know, it's the ultimate prize, isn't it? Really, and I just think. You know, I'm not saying the Safkins won't have that same desire because it only comes around every 12 years from. But uh, I just think that, with you know, smart coaching in terms of the game plan to take them on, um, I think we I think we'd win two one, mate. I think the Lions would win two one. You know, I'm also thinking Gatlin's record against the Saffers pretty good. They lost the semi final, but before that, he'd won six out of seven. Right. Now, bearing in mind a lot of those wins were when they had really poor management and they were a shadow of the former self and now the now self um, when they actually had no, they didn't know their arse and their elbow. But still, you know, that's a lot of confidence that Gats has in knowing how to beat them. Um, yeah. And, 
you know, and I think a lot of it will depend on how this season goes because you know it's all going to be rolled into one. So how well the players I, I, are looked after, and I, I think, think the time on a call, mate, that's what you want. But if you know, if you're going to ask me now, I'd say, I say let's go two one, two one Alliance. I think more than ever, if you just if you just look at uh, the home nations who they can pick from now, just imagine, just think about some of those players, especially a good few of those Saracens players. Uh, will 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 have had an easier year as well. The Irish boys, you know, they rest them quite well. Just think of the talent. Like you talk about the back row, we were talking about Jack Willis and his chances. I mean, look at the back row they could pick from, the second rows. I mean, I guess really the front row will be an interesting one because that's probably where you've really got meat fire with fire against South Africa. But just the back line, I mean, I love the idea of someone like Mike, Mike Brown, but obviously Stuart Hogs is one of the best in the world. But the talent we can pick from, it's just frightening. It's absolutely frightening. And, and getting them together in South Africa, I just think it's, I just think that they'll be too strong. But listen, you just never know, do you? You never know. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for joining us on Rocket. You can listen to us on Monday with a great Willie John McBride. Thanks for listening. 